The Dental Download Podcast is your source for insight into dental school, conversations with dentists, specialists, and leaders in the industry. With new episodes every Monday morning, I'm your host, Haley Schultz. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Happy Monday. Welcome back to another episode of the Dental Download Podcast. This week, we are joined with Dr. Katie McCann-Lee. And she is a very, very impressive general dentist. She owns a ton of practices spread out between Colorado, New Mexico, Florida, Georgia, through Pacific Dental Services. So we talk about what Pacific Dental Services is, how they have worked with her in her career, how she went from stressed, struggling, graduating during the recession, trying to find a job and pay off all of her dental school loans, undergrad loans, to now owning, I think, almost 20 dental practices. So it's a very interesting story, a story of a lot of hard work, and she also shares some tips for what made these practices so successful and has allowed her career to grow in the way that it has. So without further ado, we're going to get right into the episode this week because it is Labor Day weekend when I'm recording this intro. So next week, I will share kind of what's been going on the first couple weeks of dental school and let you all know how things have been on my end. But for now, we're going to get right into the episode with Dr. McCanley. everyone. We have another guest here today, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hi, everyone. Good afternoon. Um, I am Dr. Katie McCann-Lee. Um, I am practicing out here in Aurora, Colorado, and originally I'm from Chicago, Illinois, where I went to dental school at University of Illinois at Chicago, and I graduated in 2010. Um, so I've been practicing for the last 11 years out in um, Colorado. So did you move to Colorado as soon as you finished up dental school? Yeah, you know, I grew up in Illinois and um, I I definitely was not into the Midwest. Um, So, you know, I graduated, I think on a Friday or Saturday and I had moved out to Colorado uh, by Monday morning. Um, I just really loved the sunshine and the weather and the people. Um, It seemed like everybody was always happy. So um, I also love to be outside and hike. Um, you know, hiking, skiing, mountain biking, road biking, anything outdoors is, is what I love to do. So Colorado was a good fit for me. At the time, did you think I'm going to go and chat, try it out? Or were you like, this is my permanent move? Yeah. So it was only supposed to be for two years. So originally I was a dental assistant for our um, local hometown dentist. I'm um, from like a a small town. It's not even really a suburb of Chicago. It's about 90 miles South of Chicago. And so I was a dental assistant for him for six years. And so the plan was always for me to graduate dental school and then come back and take over his practice. Um, but when I graduated in 2010, it was in the middle of the great recession. So a lot of the opportunities that were available right out of school had really dwindled because a lot of the retirements from the dentists, the practice owners had, had shrunk or gone away completely. So he wasn't quite ready yet for me to join him, um, out of dental school. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to go out to Colorado for two years and then I'll come back and uh, work for you and take over the practice. And then 
you know, I got out to Colorado and fell in love and, and never looked back. Can you talk a little bit more about your professional timeline since then? When did you get into ownership and what else have you been involved in? Sure. It's kind of been a a whirlwind, to be honest. So I came out to Colorado. um, You know, I had applied to over 45 different practices in Colorado, and I was number two in my class. um, And I had great test scores. And I had just decided not to specialize because um, I really loved just doing general dentistry and being able to do all aspects of dentistry. I also didn't want to do a residency program because I felt like clinically I was ready Um, And I didn't need, you know, the extra training. I felt like I could get the training on the job, not necessarily needing, you know, to pay for extra training. And, you know, quite frankly, I was just really, really poor. Um, I paid for my undergrad and then I paid for dental school. So I had so much debt and I couldn't fathom, you know, taking on any more debt or not making any money. So um, I didn't want to do a residency and I wanted to start practicing right away But the problem was, again, because we were in the middle of the Great Recession, there were too many dentists and not enough jobs. And so I only got interviews with two um, dental practices out of the 45 plus that I had sent out because everybody was requiring either a residency or two years of experience. And I didn't have either. And so my options were to either work um, with Pacific Dental Services or to work with a, um, it was small smiles, which is a a general, um, dental group that focuses on treating kids. So I interviewed with both of them and decided to go with uh, Pacific dental services because I could treat adults and there were, uh, there was an opportunity for ownership. Um, and so I, I came in brand new office, um, in Aurora, Colorado, the same office I'm located in now. And within four or five months, we had turned the office around. It was the most underperforming office in Colorado. And then we became the number one office in Colorado. So within four or five months, they had offered me ownership in that practice. And then within, by the end of the year, I owned three additional practices as well. Um, and then a couple of years after that, I expanded um, into ownership and mentorship in New Mexico and Utah. Um, and then in 2014, I believe is when I, uh, expanded my leadership to the Georgia region. So I became the clinical partner and founding owner, doctor of Georgia. So I own all of those offices in Georgia and work to mentor and train the docs there. And then the next year, the year after, so 2015 or 2016 is when I went to the central Florida and South Florida markets, um, So in in the past 11 years, I've been busy as you can, as you can imagine. Um, And so, yeah, the, the timeline really just accelerated uh, once I got in and got my hands wet. I have a few follow-up questions based on some of the stuff you said. First of all, kudos to you. That is amazing. And you've done so many great things just in your short time of being graduated. That's so impressive. Thank you. For the original Aurora office, when you first got there, you said it was kind of underperforming. Were you the only dentist that was at that office at the time? So the office had opened up in May of 2010 and I got there in June, 2010. And by the time I had gotten there, I was the fourth dentist to rotate through in such short amount of time. Um, And my first day there on the job, I was just shadowing. And the dentist who was there said she was leaving by that Friday. And she's, they said, well, we need you to have your, your license by the following Monday, because otherwise we're not going to have a doctor. 
So it was um, really kind of chaotic. And, and with all the turnover in docs, there was just no continuity of care. So it was a bit hectic in the beginning. Do you feel like that was something you were kind of intrigued by the opportunity for growth or was it intimidating at the time? How did you feel? Um, it, it was definitely intimidating because I, you know, coming out of dental school, you're taught to practice one way. Um, but then when you get into actual practice, it's, it's oftentimes completely different than what you thought. Um, you know, they have a CAD cam CERIC machine and I had never even seen one. Um, I learned about it in school, but certainly had never used one. And so I, I kind of was thrown in head first. And I really think that that was part of my success because it was sink or swim and I had to figure it out. And I was so, um, you know, over my head in debt with student loans that I failure was not an option. I had to figure out a way to make money. Um, otherwise I wasn't gonna be able to pay my loans. So, um, you know, I, th- I think in the end it, it was a very good thing because I didn't have anyone to coddle me, you know, or come and rescue me or save me or, or show me how to do it. I had to figure it out on my own. And I think that's part of the reason why I was so successful. Is there anything else you feel like you did in those initial few months that really made your practice stand out and what kind of flipped it around to be so successful? So, yeah, there's, there's several things that, um, I think I did that was successful and that I've seen other docs do. Number one, I think it's, um, saying yes to everything. So what I mean by that is if a patient wanted to start treatment and my schedule was completely slammed and busy, I still said yes. If someone wanted a discount in order to get treatment going, I said yes, because I wanted to get the treatment going. If someone wanted me to work late or come in early to, to accommodate patients, I said yes. So literally my answer was yes to, to anything that anything and everything that came my way. And I think that that was important because um, number one, I was working my tail off. You know, I always joke that I, um, you know, I work six days. A, I mean, I still work six days a week, let's be honest, but I work six days clinically a week for probably the first five or six years of my career. And I was doing 10 to 12 hours a day, easy um, chair side during that time. And I think it is important because, you know, it experts say it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert in something. And so by working that hard, that quick, I was able to, to decrease my ramp time because I had so many hours that I was getting under my feet. So I think I became a lot more proficient, a lot sooner than my peers because of how hard I was working. And then the other thing that's really important is, you know, what I see now is a lot of docs come out of school and they're afraid to be uncomfortable. They're afraid that, you know, if they say yes to too many treatments or they attempt a treatment that they're, you know, might not be completely proficient at yet, they're almost afraid to tackle that because of the consequences. Whereas I had a different mindset. I was trying to be uncomfortable every day. And because I was constantly in an uncomfortable position, I was able to push myself and grow beyond anything that I had imagined. And so my advice to docs coming out, I say this all the time. And in fact, before I got on the podcast, I was at my office speaking with one of my new graduates. I said, you know, you got to be confident in your skills and you got to start to push yourself. You know, you're, you're a dentist, you're a doctor, you have training and you got to start to become uncomfortable because otherwise you're not going to grow. So I think that's important to remember. Yeah. That's the one thing, like, that's always my answer at interviews. Like what's your biggest weakness? Like I always am trying to work on it, but being uncomfortable, it's in the, it's the definition of the word. People don't inherently like that, but yes, exactly. 
you're not going to grow unless you put yourself in those situations. I totally, totally agree. Yeah, definitely. So you said you were saying yes a lot early on. You were taking on tons of hours of work. Did you find that unsustainable to keep up? And did you eventually start to scale that back? Um, <laughs> so you're asking me this question as, you know, today when I'm actually really sick and I, I haven't been sick in, in years. And so is it sustainable? Um, I would I would say that, you know, it, you have to modify it over time so that it can be sustainable. Um, I will say that I probably pushed myself beyond limits at times. Um, I'm grateful that I did because again, you know, owning now I'm in Colorado, Idaho, Utah, New Mexico, Georgia, and Florida. Right. So I've gotten a lot of reward from pushing myself that far, um, and that hard. And, and was it smart to do all the time? No. Um, I wish I would have had a mentor, kind of guiding me through some situations of, you know, maybe how to work smarter and not harder. Cause in the beginning I had the mentality of, I just need to work hard to get ahead. And I, while I think that is true, I think there's also an element of working smart to get ahead as well. And I, and I've learned that over the past few years of, of, Hey, let's start to work smarter, you know, not necessarily harder. Um, so, you know, it, I, I don't think it's sustainable to do every day. I think you can enter, and, you know, weave in some, some moments of self-care and vacation is super important and, and mental health is super important. Um, but I definitely think nowadays the scale t- tends to, s- to sway more towards, you know, a hundred percent work-life balance. And I, and I don't think that everyone is going to be able to accomplish their goals if they have a 50, 50 work-life balance. Um, I try and aim for a hundred percent work balance and a hundred percent life balance, if that makes sense. So I don't want 50% work and 50% personal time. You know, when I'm working, I want to give hundred percent to work. And when I'm having personal time, I want to give hundred percent to that instead of having an equal scale, if that makes sense. No, that's great. That's great advice. It's better to be present and giving your all in whatever yeah. situation that you're in. I definitely totally. understand what you're saying. You mentioned working smarter, not harder. Do you have like one or two examples that come to your head for how a practice can put in systems that make things more efficient without just taking on more and more cases? 100%. So for me, the working smarter, not harder has more to do with training my associates and team members to be great clinicians. So in the past, when I first started working, everything was on my shoulders. So the more offices I took on, it just meant that I had to go in and run those offices, um, you know, and produce at every office. When I say now I work smarter, what I mean by that is I I spend most of my time training and mentoring uh, doctors, hygienists, and team members so that um, they can do some of the work for me and they can actually serve more patients and get people healthier than if I was just seeing all the patients on my own. So it works out for both patients and for the teams and for my, my own, you know, health. So that's what I mean by working smarter, not harder, putting systems in place that are repeatable, that are measurable, and that can be predictable for success. That probably makes a lot of sense at how you can successfully own so many practices then. Yes. Yes. But in the beginning I did it all myself and that, that was the big mistake that I made. So do you currently work at all of the offices that you own ever, or are you just solely like managerial kind of a role? So I, I still practice full time. 
Um, so I work right now, I'm splitting my time between two practices in Colorado in the Denver area. Um, so I see patients full time. So, um, by that, I mean about 36 hours a week. And then I also, you know, coach and mentor and run my practices full time. I'm hoping to, to start to tailor that back even more to where I'm spending more time coaching and mentoring. Um, so hopefully I'll be able to, to do that. But my problem is, is that I absolutely love treating patients. So like today I'm supposed to have an admin day, for example, and I ended up going into work on an all on four case. Uh, so I, I have a hard time pulling away because I love the dentistry aspect of it. Is there a reason that you want to do more of the mentoring and that would lead for less clinical time, even though you love the clinical time, like what's motivating you to try to scale back clinical? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I think there's several different answers for that. So Paul Homily um, worked with Pacific Dental several years ago um, on case acceptance and, and patient communication. And he told me, and I was only, you know, two years out of school at the time. He said, the first 10 years are about the teeth. The next 10 years are about the profession. And when he said that to me, I was like, you know, what is this guy talking about? That's ridiculous. Why would I ever care about giving back to the profession? You know, I should only really care about myself and, and my own success. And I will say he's hundred percent right around year seven or eight is when I started to think like, you know, if I see patients, I'm only going to get so much of a legacy, right? Oh, Dr. McCann's a great dentist. Okay, cool. But if I start to train the dental profession as a whole, specifically women and new grads, that's where I really, really like to focus myself. If I can better the female dental profession and increase the leadership skills of new grads coming out and they can better the health of, of way more patients than I can treat myself. That's going to be a much more powerful legacy than just what my hands can do on their own. So that's a big motivator behind it. I know it seems, sounds pretty cheesy, but that's the honest to God's truth. Um, another reason is, you know, you asked about sustainability and as you age, and especially in the dental profession, your body cannot handle, um, the workload that it could before. So, you know, you start to have back problems, neck problems, um, all that stuff. So I, I, this is a marathon for me. It's not a sprint. And I, I started to realize that. So I think I'm in, you know, the season of my career where, you know, I'm, I'm going more for a, a long stride than a short sprint right now. Um, and so that's been really helpful. And then I, I still like to do chair side because I think it's important that I keep up on my clinical skills. So that way, when I am mentoring and coaching other doctors, I'm able to, to have legitimacy behind what I'm saying. Um, I don't want to be that doc that's out of touch with the latest and greatest dental techniques or, or materials. I want to have, you know, I want to be a credible practitioner and coach. I definitely hear what you're saying. And I can understand what you're saying about the sustainability and giving yourself a chance to practice and be involved in dentistry longer by not burning out your body and everything. For sure. So I know you're um, part of Pacific Dental, just for people, including myself, that are kind of curious about it. So what is their involvement when it comes to the ownership that you have? Yeah, so Pacific Dental, the best way to explain what they do. And it would kind of be a, they would cringe if, if they heard me say it, but the best way to describe it is it's, it's like a dental franchise. Um, so they own the business side of the practice. And then I'm in charge of the clinical side of the practice. 
their goal is to have an owner dentist in every single one of their practices across the country, because we want someone there that is taking ownership and accountability for the clinical care that's rendered in the practice. So we find that, you know, clinical excellence goes up, patient care goes up and profitability goes up in the practice when we have an owner doctor there. So they're in charge of the business operating systems, um, such as uh, electronic health records, um, ordering of supplies, real estate contracts, marketing contracts, insurance billing and eligibility, payroll collections, everything like that is is run by Pacific Dental. And then the dentists are there to, to run the clinical side of the practice. So um, the goal is, is to be, you know, 90% clinical for the doc and only 10% operational in running the business. Obviously my role is different. Um, I'm more like 95, 95, <laughs> which is not mm-hmm. what they want. Um, but you know, they want the doc spending more time on, on, on clinical than running the business because then that way profitability can go up. Okay. That is definitely makes it more clear. So did you, cause you own multiple offices. Did you seek out these practices and say like, I think they'd be a good fit or did Pacific dental find them and then ask you to take the ownership? Um, so they find the practices, um, the they'll do all of the market research. So they'll do the, the market research and determining how many dentists, you know, per square mile there are, they'll do the economic research of figuring out, you know, patient demographic, Um, they'll look for real estate sites. They like to focus a lot on type A sites, meaning, um, shopping centers that have large anchor stores of Target or, or Sprouts or Costco or something like that. Um, and then they, they negotiate those contracts. Now, that being said, if there is a prominent owner doctor like myself, if I find a location coming up and I say, Hey, I'd like to put an office here. They certainly will go out and and make that happen for me. But 95% of the time it's them finding the locations. That takes one less thing off your plate, I suppose. (laughs) Totally. And all the negotiations and the contractors of building the space out. I mean, they handle all of that. They have all the attorneys and lawyers that you need for, for all of that. That's great. So when you're talking about mentoring, are you primarily mentoring the associate doctors at the practices that you own, or are you coaching other dentists as well? Great question. So I have um, two roles with that. So in the regions that I serve, so the Rocky Mountain, New Mexico, SoCo, Georgia, and Florida regions, I um, mentor and coach all of the docs at my offices. And that's my primary role with Pacific Dental Services. And then I also have my own coaching and mentorship business outside of PDS, where uh, individual doctors will hire me to, to coach and mentor them or docs that they've hired underneath of them. So I do it both inside PDS and outside of PDS. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I feel like we covered a lot of really great information about your career journey and your ownership experience and advice for dental students, but do you have any closing thoughts or final advice that you want to give to dental students listening? I would just say, you know, dentistry is such an amazing profession and we're at a really pivotal point right now where dental health, oral health is being integrated into systemic health. So now's the time for us to really elevate the profession and, and become more of healthcare provide oral healthcare providers instead of just dentists. So I would say to make sure that we get 
um, to the new docs graduating, make sure you're on, on the forefront of that information coming out. Um, something else I would say is, you know, be prepared to, to work hard, work hard and get uncomfortable because that's the best way for you to rise to the top. Um, so don't be afraid of hard work when you get out. And then the last thing that I would say is, and one area that I wish I would have done differently is I would have sought out mentorship right out of school because for the first several years, I was only focused on the dentistry and I wasn't paying any sort of attention to the team around me or my employees. And I think that although I've achieved great things in my career, I think I could have, you know, achieved twice as much, if not triple as much, if I would have initially started focusing on the team and the people around me from the beginning, but you know, you don't know what you don't know when you get out. So seek out a mentor, you know, find a coach that can help you grow in that area. That's all really great advice and advice I'm going to be keeping in mind as I'm going through the rest of dental school here. Is there a good way for people to follow you or contact you if they have questions? Absolutely. So um, I am on Instagram and my Instagram is uh, Dr. Katie McCann Lee. So Dr. McCann Lee. Um, and then I also have uh, my website, which is uh, com, which has my blog posts on there. Um, I put interesting cases for implants and um, Sarah cases on there. And then I also talk about coaching and mentorship on there as well. Um, and if people want to go and set up a free 30 minute consultation, um, just so we can chat about how I can help, help them grow in their careers. That's available on the website as well. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for everything that you're doing for the dental community. I just am kind of blown away. It's amazing. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. All right. That's the end of this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed. Next week, we're going to get a solo episode. So just me and you chatting and the topic will be how to prepare for a practical. I know a lot of people just started up dental school and they're getting into sim lab and you might have practicals coming up in the next couple weeks. So I wanted to sit down and talk about some tips and tricks for preparing for the practical as well as practical day, some things that I did to kind of ease my nerves and everything. So that's going to be next week's episode. And I just want to remind you to join our Facebook group. It's just Dental Download Podcast and ask questions in there. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you listen over there, as well as follow and listen to the podcast every week. That's the greatest way that you can show support for these episodes so that I can continue making them. With all that being said, I do just want to thank you again for listening to this week's episode, and I will talk to you next Monday.